0: For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that is in John 3.16. If you are here this morning, and you have not realized what Christ has done for you, he atoned for not only your sin, but for the sins of the whole world. For every man, woman, and child from the beginning of time to the end of time, the atonement was so valuable and continues to be so worthwhile that it covers all sin. Not only is the ex- Not only is the the value of His atonement so immense that it covers all sin of all men of all time, but He genuinely offers the extent of that atonement to all who would believe. I'll go even further than that. That not only does He genuinely desire all men to be saved but he genuinely is drawing all men to himself. So the deciding factor is not what has Christ done because he's done it all. The deciding factor now rests on your free will choice to humbly, to fearfully, but to fully come to him and say, I cannot save myself but I know that you can save me, and I trust that you will. And then Christ, who is not willing that any should perish, but is willing that all should come to repentance, who went to the cross, who rose again from the grave, and He freely offers that pardon to you in full, just simply say, I receive you. I turn from my unbelief, I turn from my sin, and I turn to the one who is worthy to be believed in and to be given my life to, and I take him and trust in him. That's what John 3.16 is instructing us in. When we arrive in Matthew chapter 25, we see at the end of Christ's ministry here on the earth, and he is giving these final parables to many who are having ears to hear, we find in the parable of the ten versions, uh, virgins, verses 1 through 13, where he gives in story form the idea that we must be ready in this life right here and right now. We must be ready for Christ's return. And then we get into verses 14 and moving forward, we find out why we need to be ready because there is a day of accounting that the master then uh, requires from those who are his true servants in order to, uh, uh, to explain and to understand what they have done so that it sinks in and then they move on into the joy of Of the Lord. This is not a parable of how to get to heaven, but how you'll be received once you are there. And so let's read a few verses here, starting with verse number 19 and down to 21. We'll catch these verses. We'll take a moment to stop and pray, and then we will get into our message. Matthew 25, 19. Please stand with me if you would. Out of honor respect to the Word of God, where it says in Jesus' words, after a long time the Lord of those servants cometh. He had gone away in a far country, and uh, before he departed, as the parable explains, he gave, divided to each one of his servants talents, that is his resources, his possessions, to put in their charge, to put in their, uh, uh, put in their usage Uh, in order to enable them, and it was given to them according each one to their ability. And so after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought over five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five more. Five talents more. His Lord saith unto him, Thou braggart. No, oh wait. That was the Message Bible. Let me close that. Here we go. What verse were we in? His Lord saith unto him, verse 21, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do count it a great honor and privilege to stand in your presence at this moment in time here at Spring Meadow Baptist Church. We have gathered here that we might worship and honor and lift high your name, but also through your name be instructed in your word that we might not leave here the same people we were when we entered. And so we ask that you do a work in us that we cannot do ourselves except to offer ourselves to you and ask that you give us ears to hear what your spirit has to say to your church today. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Please be seated. At the age of 25 years old, Adoniram Judson went to the country of Burma to preach the word of God. His mission and work, together with Luther Rice, who initially went to India with Judson in 1812, but upon meeting William Carey along with Judson, left, cut ties with the Congregationalist Church, being convinced that carries teaching about the faith of the New Testament is that which is seen in the Baptist faith. And that was indeed the biblical one. But where Luther Rice returned back to the United States to cut ties with the Congregationalists and spend his life raising support for Judson to continue, Adoniram Judson remained... Faithful to the Course for almost 40 years in missionary service in the country of Burma. When Judson began his mission in Burma, he had set a goal of translating the Bible and planting a a church of 100 people before passing away. However, by the time of his death, he had not only translated the Bible and planted a church which exceeded 100 members, but 99 more churches. Judson is quoted as saying these words, There is not success without sacrifice. If you succeed without sacrifice, it's because someone has suffered before you. If you sacrifice without success, success, it is because someone will succeed after you. In Matthew 25, the parable of the talents We pull one response to one kind of servant to show how one life of sacrificial faithfulness is promised to be received when he or she stands before the Father to be received into His kingdom. Notice, though, that it is not a determination as to whether He is received, but how He is to be received on that day. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us, we see there, that there are two kinds of ministers, right? Two kinds who uh, built two highly successful ministries, both worthy of admiration in the eyes of all who view them. However, before the discerning and judging eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ, one is tried by God's refining fire and is proven to be as true while the other is tried and proven and shown to be false. Whereas the one receives a reward, the other suffers loss. The word loss there in the Greek, there means to be inwardly afflicted with damaging injury, one that might make someone double over in excruciating pain with remorse, violent tears, shame, horror, regret, and bitter anger. Maybe even gnash their teeth while dealing with the intensity of their feelings of loss, yet, but are described as being saved, yet by fire. The first being received with the joy of reward, the second having his tears eventually wiped away and entering into heaven by God's grace. But in Matthew chapter 25, we see three very significant reasons for the faithful servant to be received with such high accolades and excitement. First, we see that it was because he was a good servant. Look back with me, if you would, in Matthew 25. In verse number 21, his Lord, the master, In this parable is the Lord Jesus Christ. He says unto that servant, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. We see that the first way that the master commended him was because of his morality in ministry. So much that goes on in ministry and in the world of missions today is accomplished by the manipulation of the handling of people and the malfeasance of handling finances. It's the difference between the work of expressing God's kingdom and that of extorting God's kingdom. Not only the morality of the integrity of the work itself, but also the morality of the man himself. If he does that which is right and righteous outwardly, but he himself is an immoral person in his heart. He is building a work of God. Yes, it is being built, but it's being built in the flesh and not in the spirit. His house is being built on sinking sand. Christ pronounces at this reception that this servant practiced morality moral integrity and their usage of his goods and their usage of the master's resources in order to fulfill his ministry from day one until day done and the master turns to him and he says to this to this person in the parable well done thou good And well done thou faithful servant, a good servant, a good servant is one who is lifted up in his moral integrity. But secondly, we see not only his morality in his ministry, but we see the second part of how the master received this man's ministry, this man's service, and that is the master commends his, not just his morality, but his management. His management. He says, well done, thou good servant, but well done, thou faithful servant. This parable is actually a story of not just the morality of the man and his his motivations, but the management of the resources that the master gave him. The resources are symbolized by the talent. But it's not a parable primarily targeting the usage of money and property. The talents represent ministry. And the usage of our individual spiritual gifts and the individual responsibilities as we exercise those spiritual gifts in the ministry that God has designed to take place in and through His local church. As the talents were used and expected to be used to be lent out to the exchangers who were to lend them to the strangers in order that the strangers would receive help and benefit that they need so much so that they would be able to repay the lenders who would repay the stewards, and a surplus would ultimately be returned back to the master himself. By the way, the strangers mentioned in this parable cannot be from within the Jewish nation because it was forbidden by the Mosaic Law for Jews to charge interest to other Jews. But they could with strangers those who are from outside of Israel, those who were not of the commonwealth of Israel. And we, so, we see that within the context of this parable that Jesus gave in order to help understand what those who, have been, who had trusted Christ and who have been placed in His family, each one who had been given a spiritual gift and a spiritual responsibility through the local church and by God's grace and by his favor, then use inside of that local church to do his will through his resources, those spiritual divine enablings that he's given each one of us for this location, for this place. Listen, he did that so that the resources through the ministry of the local church, not primarily finances, but those divine enablers from God to, through ministry, reach out as far as the aliens, the strangers, those far away from the commonwealth of Israel. And as we, God's church, has moved down through the ages and is now at the center focus of these last days before His return, we see that those aliens and strangers are those who are still the yet untold millions of the love and the grace of God and the salvation through Jesus Christ. That that ministry that had been entrusted to us is still needing to be utilized, resourced, Lent out, sent as far away in order to, through the ministry of the local church, reach those who the master intended and who identifies as his usury, those who he intended his resources to reach beyond the borders, beyond the walls, beyond the location of those to whom he had uh, enabled To those who are without, who are aliens and strangers, as Ephesians 2, 12 and 13 tells us, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ that's what the condemned and wasteful servant was uh, told by the master. It says in verse 25, And I was afraid, and went and hid your talents in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant. You see, the master didn't buy into the excuse Of it was fear that kept him from doing the work, but slothfulness. Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not. Where would that be? The mission field. And gathered where I have not strawed. Where would that be? The mission field. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine with usury from Uganda, from the Congo, from China, from any of the uttermost and unreached places in this earth where His ministry has set strong in our hands. But we have been so faithful... Not just in morality, but in the management of the power of God in our church, in our midst. Not because we are many people, but because Christ's strength is without limit. And through his ministry can bring the power of the gospel of Christ to places where he has not sown, that it might be sown there. And people reaped for his kingdom. Christ pronounces at the reception of the faithful steward that this servant managed well the purpose for which he left him his goods in fulfilling that great commission. So first we see the master commends his management. You are a faithful servant Or second, first, we see that the master master commended his morality. You are a good servant. But thirdly, we see that the master commended his methodology. His methodology. What did he say? Well, well, done. You did it right. You did it well. Not just that you did it, but you did it right. The methodology. Now our methods in relaying the message of salvation to the lost needs to be right biblically. Easy believism and quick prayerism creates feckless converts at best and fake converts at worst with a false sense of security and a salvation they do not have. On the other hand, lordship salvation, which calls for a commitment to endure or persevere your whole life in order to prove that you are always saved, as uh, as Calvinist lordship is, or to protect your salvation, as conditional security lordship says, or to ultimately provide salvation, as Catholic lordship is, makes salvation based on performance and not on the person of Christ. Therefore, these methodologies are not the Great Commission and will not be received with a proclamation of being well done. Our time being short, I cannot get into the depth of this point much further than that, but I will simply say this, that above every other church or religion, it has been the independent Baptists who should have the advantage in every way If we were to simply be true to what made us distinct from the beginning as being a people who hold unequivocally and unabashedly to the fact that the scriptures alone are our first, they are our foremost, and they are our final source of all authority for absolutely everything in regards to both faith what we believe and function, what we do, then we have the advantage because God's word is held up as preeminent. God's word is held up as absolute and that which is the opinions of people or the traditions of men or the, or, or the wayward thoughts that the multiplicity or populace of people say just keep changing. But God's word is absolute. After this, It's not only that the Bible itself is our final authority that has made us distinct in our beliefs, but that the local church itself is autonomous. The local New Testament church is to be autonomous, meaning it is to rely on God's methodology as one which is not dependent on outside financing outside authority, or outside ministries in order to operate and to excel. In other words, to be self-supporting, self-governing, and self-propagating, whether here at home in our Jerusalem or across the ocean in the uttermost. One could argue that Luther Rice and Adoniram Judson had a great commitment to honor the methodology in missions which is why they were willing to sacrifice much with even the severing of ties with their upbringing their church who was sponsoring them to the mission field friends and their livelihood when they became convinced that the methods that they had been intending to follow when going to spread the gospel to the uttermost we not faithful to the scriptures and we could thank William Carey who had the guts and the gallantry to humbly show them the truth and they responded listen here in Matthew 25 we see that Christ Greatly commends the morality of the servant. He also commends the management of that servant, but he also recognizes and commends his methodology. How you did what I intended you to do was right. There's a lot that's accomplished in the world of missions today. Many different reasons why one person might receive Christ and another person might not. It's all by the grace of God. It really is. Sometimes that grace finds its way into a humble, broken heart despite what we have done but we want to set our course in the direction of missions being done morally, being done in management and in methodology so that the grace of God that brings salvation that has appeared to all men might find its way in a broken sinner's heart because of what we've done with Christ. William Carey spent some 41 years in India as a missionary without even a furlough. His, he counted some 700 converts in a, million, in a nation of millions. But he had laid an impressive foundation of the gospel that it, so that even today he is called the father of modern missions. William Carey is attributed to the following saying, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that just simply don't matter. And so I ask you, looking forward at the reception of rewards, in what manner is our church, corporately, and yourself individually, embracing what we know Christ desires to receive you with morality. Are we doing things with honesty, integrity, purity? Listen, not only in morality, but also in the management of the divine spiritual resources that God has given to this local church you his people but also the methodology by which we accomplish that ministry how is that being done will we be received with well done you know he's he told that other servant that he was a wicked servant we understand that the verses following then go on to tell him, say that he is, he is, he is cast out into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And here we receive two extreme difference that a true servant of Christ is received upon entering heaven. One in the joy of the Lord, and one, with tears and regret. One with great, uh, uh, with, with, with great uh, uh, joy and happiness and the other with remorse and shame. I'll never forget when I was a young boy and my dad was coming home from work. I thought he'd been gone for at least 30 years because that's, you know, the time frame of a young child. So when he comes through the door, I see his face. I haven't seen him in forever. And there he is. And I come running to him. You want to help me out with this? You will be the one coming running.
1: Yay! And hugging daddy. Daddy, I'm so glad to see you. I haven't seen you in forever.
0: And that love and embrace and that joy that you feel. Can I give you a kiss on the forehead? just warms the heart because there is no there is nothing wrong in that reception she's looking forward to it i'm looking forward to it jamison do you want to help me out with the second one he comes running to daddy So, I heard you burned down the house today while I was at work. (laughs) And you put firecrackers in the dog food. I'm sure it was funny, but we don't treat our animals that way. He's just horrified. Give me a horrified look. He needs to work on the horror. <laughs> Go to your room. I'll come see you later. How does he feel going to his room? Hmm? What does the father hope that he feels when he goes to his room? Not pride. Not remembering, oh yeah, when the dog exploded, that was hilarious. Why didn't my dad appreciate that? No his anticipation should bring shame regret horror anger at himself gnashing the teeth lashing out oh why did i not this could have been a different outcome and i call him out What's done is done. What's passed is passed. It can't be changed. But you're my child, and I receive you into glory. You see the difference? You you can go find your seat. Here's what Jesus is telling us in Matthew 25. Not how do you get to heaven by being a good servant, but how is he going to receive you when you get there? When the ministry and the opportunity and the resources spiritually are here in this location among you, His people, in the ministries to reach those in your Jerusalem to the uttermost are available to you to the greatest extent. It doesn't matter if you are 10 or 10,000. His resources. It didn't matter if he had five talents or two because God's accountability was to the degree of each one's responsibility. If you've been given ten, then you're responsible for ten. If you've been given two, you're responsible for two, not ten. That it turned into four because of the extent of your ministry in faithfulness. Reaching the uttermost to those who have never heard that Christ might reap souls where he had not planted, but you did through his power and strength. Squandered? Set back on your one talent? You're still received. But in that moment of time, you will see all that potential and those who could have been standing with you among tribes and nations and languages and tongues that are simply not there not that christ didn't call them not that christ didn't draw them but that drawing could have been intensified immensely by your faithfulness here to send those who would preach the name of christ among whom there is no salvation except by his name, Acts 4.12. So here's the question. By which reception will you be rewarded when you are received? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for a look into your word this morning. Thank you for the time that you gave us. Help us to be William Carey's. Who are faithful and diligent for 41 years, help us to be Adoniram Jetsons who are willing to change our course. That the management and the methodology by which we use that talent, that spiritual gift through that ministry, through this church, would be faithfully distributed throughout the world. Father, we trust that what you do with us and in our hearts today would cause us to be different than what we were before we came in. And Father, if there be anyone, anyone who is seated in our midst today who they themselves have never humbly and contritely come to you turning from their old life and turning to you asking for you to create them a new person by being born into your family help them to reach out and trust in your salvation today I just simply pray this in Jesus precious name
2: Amen this way for a moment would you um, you know one of the wonderful encouragements of that passage is you can do something about it Right. you're not there the day's coming when you will give account to your Lord and Savior but you can do something about it you can take the talents God's given you and you can make your life count Or you can leave this place if you know Christ as Savior, same way you were. It will determine your reception, but you can do something about it today. Take my life and let it be. Would you mind getting that song? Let's go ahead, and if we can, we'll get a number. And I want you to sing that song, think about it. Think about the message, take my life and let it be. Consecrated Lord to thee. And we're going to have a hymn of invitation. If God has worked in your heart and life today, and you're not ready for that day when you're going to stand and give account to him, then this would be a good time to put the book aside and to just come and get on your knees before God and say, Lord, I want to be ready for that time, for that day when I'm going to give account to you. We've been challenged both Sunday school and the morning message, and I hope you'll respond to it. Do we have a number there? 611. In our 611, let's stand together. We'll sing number 611 together. And I'll tell you, God has worked in your heart and you're not ready for that time as a believer, I want to encourage you to just come and spend some time on your knees before God or right where you're at. Just kneel down, sit down, and talk to the Lord about it. Be ready for the time when the Lord holds you accountable for the things you've done. Let's sing it together. Take my life and
1: let it be,
2: of every Christian should be, Lord, take me, use me,
0: let's
2: pray, Father, I thank you for all you've done for us, the glorious gospel, the wonderful provision daily of our needs for the, the goodness you've given to us for the bountiful blessings that we have, for the talents you've given, and for the things you've entrusted us with, Father, may we be faithful and may we do well. And may we, when we stand before you, uh, enjoy the wonderful reception that these first two did, had. And I pray, Lord, that uh, we would be a people congregation of a body of believers who are faithfully serving for the glory of God and may that have an impact not just here in our area as we share the gospel and carry the good news but throughout the world as we give and we'll thank you for it in Jesus name amen Amen. Lord will indeed bless you if you give your all to him Uh, I want to encourage you to stay you aren't forced to but I want to encourage you to stay we're going to have lunch here we'll be getting things set up if you can help with that if you can take all the things that are in the the